Hello, I'm Wendy Kendall, your host for the Inspiring Psychologists Breaking the Mold of Private Practice podcast. In today's solo episode, I'm taking you on a transformative journey as we delve into the five essential elements that are the building blocks of a flourishing, innovative private practice. Whether you're starting on your journey or seeking to move beyond the limitations of one-to-one services, this episode is tailored for you. We'll also tackle common misconceptions and pitfalls in private practice, such as marketing too early or over-concentrating on non-scalable products. So sit back, take notes, and let's dive into an enlightening episode that's packed with actionable tips, valuable insights and resources, all aimed at helping you to succeed in your private practice. And remember, if you're looking for a community of like-minded practitioners on a similar journey, I invite you to join our Inspiring Psychology Practices Facebook group. If you'd like more resources or wish to learn more about us, visit our website at inspiringpsych.com. That's inspiringpsych.com. Let's start the episode. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Inspiring Psychologists podcast, where we discuss the experience of breaking the mold of private practice. And today, episode five is about five things that you need to build a flourishing and innovative private practice. And I wanted to take this time at this point in the series where we're about a third of the way through the series and we've had we've spoken to some really inspiring guests so far and yet I know that one of the challenges that a lot of listeners have when it comes to breaking out of the box breaking the mold of how private practice has always been done it's not so much that they don't have the ideas that they don't have the sense of what they want to be able to deliver to their clients. Actually, the problem is often that they have so many ideas, they don't know where to start. You know, how do you move from a practice that is so busy and so overwhelming delivering one-to-one products uh, or one-to-one services and move into this other way of being in your practice, this other way of practicing, you know, it's actually quite a transformational process. And that can feel very overwhelming in itself. And when work in itself is very demanding, when we're dealing with, you know, working with unprecedented demand in our practices, and we want to pivot so that we can serve those needs more effectively, then it's really... Um, one of one of the biggest barriers to being able to make that shift is to try and reduce the amount of complexity, to try and get a, a more simple framework for how we can start to take those steps. And so that's what this particular episode is about. This is me sharing with you some of my some of the ways in which I work with people 
who are on this journey as well. And also, this has come from my experience of also pivoting my practice of getting off the treadmill of delivering services in a particular way that was leading to an earning ceiling. You know, I remember for like three or four years in a row, maybe even longer, actually, when I reflect on it, I was probably stuck at around, um, you know, a turnover in the business of like 40,000 pounds a year. And that's great. But I was stuck there and it wasn't a lot more than I could have been earning in a job. And I was doing all these other things of running the business. So it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm on a treadmill here. I'm working a lot of hours to deliver this work. And I'm doing all this other stuff as well. In other words, you know, running the business, keeping things running, got all these costs of running the business. And I'm not earning a lot more than I could have done in a job. So why don't I just go back and get a job? And it was because I had all of these creative ideas about how else I could be doing things and all of this wonderful opportunity to create new um create new ways of working with people that just felt so inspiring to me. And I was like, I can't do that. I just can't go back. So when it comes to a flourishing and innovative private practice, you know, why do I use those words? One of the elements that I think is, um, that has to be central is your flourishing as a practitioner. Running our businesses, you know, as we saw in episode four, for example, the last episode that we had, um, running our businesses is demanding. I think the kind of business that we run as psychologists and therapists is also particularly demanding because we deal a lot with people who are experiencing various amounts of trauma, transition, challenges obstacles. And because we work very closely with people, those experiences bring things up for ourselves as well. And that means it can be a kind of um, um, practice where we have a lot of emotional challenges. You know, that's why we have supervision. It's why we have ongoing CPD. It's why it's really important to look after our um our mental health, our well-being. And so for me, um, what it means to flourish has to be built right into the heart of our practices. So that's really important. Um, for me, flourishing has particular meanings as well. So I have worked a lot with Seligman's work on flourishing, probably I mean, I remember that the book Flourish was, I think, published in about 2007, 2008. And I think since that work was kind of popularized and, and in that book, um, and in fact, since, let me think about it, going back even earlier to kind of 2004, 2005 is when I really started to work with um, some of the research that was coming out of the early positive psychology movement. And so that for me was really encapsulated in this, in this area of flourishing. And for me, 
the model that just helps me to orientate the work that I do supporting psychologists and therapists is also this model of or the PERMA-V model. So PERMA-V um, stands for positive relationships, um, positive emotions. Um, yeah, relationships, their meaning, achievement or accomplishment and uh, vitality. So vitality got at the end of that. Um yeah, in fact, I'm going to go back through that as well because my brain had a little bit of a fluff with it. <laughs> so positive relationships is the first P. Engagement um, is the second, is the E. R is positive relationships. M is meaning. A is achievement or accomplishment. And V is vitality. So... <laughs> It's all in there. Um, but that as a framework for me was like, you know, it's just so helpful sometimes to have a list of things um, where we can orientate ourselves and remember the main tenets of what helps people to move forward. Um, you know, we spoke a lot also in episode one about how important it is um, to recognize that there is also a personal growth path when it comes to creating a flourishing and innovative and transformative private practice. You know, it impacts on us as practitioners as well. Um, when it comes to innovation, I think, you know, we know that there is so much need for what we do, even before the pandemic, um, Countries were already struggling with, you know, overwhelming demand for psychological services, whether that was mental health services or whether it was demand for support with organization development, you know, right across the spectrum of how we help people as psychologists. There was already a lot of demand before the pandemic that just, you know, increased exponentially through the process of of you know dealing with the pandemic its impact on people its impact on families its impact on schools its impact on society um organizations so on and so forth so we're just dealing with unprecedented demand and also our our model of practicing which has been heavily based around in, certainly in western society you know it's been heavily based around this didactic way of working with people you know the one-to-one -one stuff whether it's therapy whether it's coaching you know that kind of gets positioned as the mainstay of how we operate the other element is um, the, the other part of a very traditional practice is working as an associate. And there is this kind of professional services model where in our practices we grow by um, bringing um, other practitioners into our practice to deliver services instead of us. So, you know, then, then we'll be taking a referral fee for that and so on. I did that as an occupational psychologist um, when I was associate partner of a practice. I was, you know, we were putting pieces of work together for corporates that also had that kind of model. 
So that is also very, very common, but it's also not enough. It isn't a model that has innovation built into the heart of it because it's about being able to deliver services very efficiently in order to um, maximize your profit margin in the business. And also it's often still based on some kind of one-to-one service. And so again, even when you expand through associates, at some point you have this conundrum of how are we going to diversify our products and services? How are we going to scale up beyond this one-to-one? And we've even seen recently the, you know, companies like um, better health, etc., which were these, you know, the, these kind of scaled up versions of associate models where they were bringing people in and what they were trying to do was like really, um, let's put it kindly, optimize the offer to um, therapists delivering um, uh, services. And then some of the diversification was essentially commoditizing the data and offering, you know, data insights as a second value stream. And then, you know, that model has started to demonstrate its limitations and even break down. So for me, when I think about um, psychology services at scale, it's not about finding ways to scale up one-to-one it's about finding ways to support groups, individual uh, individuals, yes, groups, um, families, society, communities. <laughs> um, you know, the the individual scaled is not just multiples of one. The individual scaled is groups of different sizes. You know, organisations, etc. So we have to think about how we reorientate our services and products. If we're going to innovate, if we're going to scale up, if we're going to have more impact, then actually we need to diversify the way in which we are supporting people, diversify our products and services so that we are, you know, addressing, um, all those different levels of human functioning and human flourishing, not just individual times, whatever. Um, I think there's another element of, you know, the flourishing um, model. And when I think about topics like um, vitality and accomplishment and sense of accomplishment and meaning, actually for me what that starts to tap into and where I see a lot of almost like longing and yearning with private practitioners is that they're, you know, longing to bring their creativity into, um, into their products and services. So there's a real, really big link between um, being able to support practitioners to be more creative and being able to actually have more impact because we've innovated around the um the products and services that we're delivering so as i said earlier you know where 
why don't why don't people just get stuck in? You know, what's the problem that we're really talking about here? I think one of the clearest elements, as I said, people aren't really stuck for ideas. They're not really stuck for creativity. But what I notice is that it feels impossible to start. Um, I went through that myself, and I remember having to really make a decision at a point and I think just because some of the associate work that I was delivering was just becoming (laughs) too painful for me to deliver I was I was just not enjoying it anymore and I just thought I can't do this um so for me there was this point at which I had to make a bit of a leap and just say I'm not going to do that and actually I'm going to start investing my time in in this other thing um But, you know, trying to figure out where to start is probably the number one question that I get asked. Um, People book coffee chats with me and I ask them, you know, what is the thing that is really um, challenging you right now? And a lot of people say, so ideas and I know where to start. Um, And I think that underlying that is also, for some people, a lot of trepidation about what does this mean for me? You know, if I, if I apply an IFS lens to it, there are certain kind of protective parts and manager parts that we have that are, um, that know if we go in this direction, if we do this thing differently, it's going to have some implications for us. And are we really going to be able to cope with that? You know, am I going to be overwhelmed? And that shows up as well, because actually one of the key challenges people will talk about is not so much the fear of failure, not so much that it might not work, but if this takes off, what is that going to mean for me? That's a real challenge for people. And in fact, if I remember rightly, one of the things that Becky Quick said in um, episode three was you know, when she was looking at the work that she was doing with menopause psychologist and she knew it was about to hit the big time. And she was like, I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm in the right place right now to be able to deal with that. And so I'm going to have, I'm going to pivot again so that, so that this stays within um, my parameters for what it means to flourish right now. And, you know, that's that's tremendous, <laughs> having that insight and that sense of empowerment is really where I, I love to hear that people have got there. You know, if you're you're able to scale up your private practice, that's fabulous. But are you also able to, do you feel confident to scale it down when you need to or to pivot it differently when you need to? For me, that's real empowerment in private practice that we can make those kind of empowered decisions for what works for us as well. So there is a transformation process involved. Stepping into power, stepping into our light, you know, the good old Marianne Marianne Williamson quote about uh, our greatest fear is um, our power as opposed to, you know, our darkness. I think that's very, I think that's very true. But in order to, 
make this feel and be more manageable, there's a metaphor that I use about what it takes to build a flourishing and innovative private practice. And there's a certain flow to it that I've seen happen time and time again. So there are five elements in this metaphor. And the first three go in a certain order. The second two are kind of background constants. But the first three need to go in a particular order. And I call this my building a bus metaphor. So if you've watched any of my webinars in the past, you may have come across me talking about this. Or if you've had a coffee chat with me, you may have heard me talk about this. Now, I often think to myself, well, you know, you could have done better than thinking about a bus because <laughs> a bus is not very sexy, is it? <laughs> you know, why, why aren't you building a Lamborghini practice? But, you know, first of all, I reckon buses can also be really sexy. So you can, you can have, you know, a really sexy bus for your practice. That's no problem. Um, but buses also take people places, right? So this is a collective endeavor. This is, this is a bus that is going to take your clients and take you to wherever they need to get to. And they can, it can take them there in style, right? It doesn't have to be, um, kind of, um, you know, a budget bus. Um, if budget bus is what you're looking for, awesome. I'm just saying the scope. So first part of building your bus in this metaphor is to build the chassis. That's the body of the bus. And the, the chassis, when it comes to your products and services, is, um, you know, that's the thing that you're, that is holding and containing your clients. So, you know, the first thing that we need to think about is how we build a function in our practice and how we um, build scope and space within our practice so that we can build the chassis of the bus, so that we can build and rebuild and maintain and do all those things with respect to our products and services. Um, that might be, you know, your one-to-one -off, one -to -one offer. If you're a therapist, you might be thinking of moving into coaching. But it's also your group offers. It's your programs. It's your courses. It's your workshops. It's maybe your retainer offer. So, in fact, that I have a webinar and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes where I talked about the array of products and services that you might think about developing in, you know, to support your clients. But I think there's a couple of things about this. You know, a, sh a chassis of a bus has a certain design to it so that it, it serves the function and it gets people there as efficiently as possible. And what I think that looks like with, with respect to products and services is, first of all, that there is a certain alignment to your products and services, that they support one another, that they make sense to people, um, that over time they become a repeatable blueprint um, you know, when I've designed um, 
products and services in the past. So, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, I designed a lot of products and services around the topic of corporate mentoring systems. And, you know, that we, we created something called the Successful Mentoring Blueprint. And within that system, there were also lots of, you know, different ways that we could use that, different ways we could deliver it, different um, different versions. So I remember for, for very senior leaders, there were kind of small and intensive um, um, offers that we had for them. For graduate level in organizations, we had an enormous um, um, a, series of events where we had 200 people in a day come and, you know, learn about corporate mentoring with us. So there was a certain alignment that meant that the innovation was kind of done once. And then there were different ways in which we could deliver that. And that meant that it was more of an optimized system of products and services. Um, I think there's another element in that alignment, which is when you're supporting particular people in their challenges, and I think we alluded to this in um, maybe in the first um, episode of this podcast, there's also different stages of change that people go through. Um, and, you know, when we look at a lot of products and services, they often are associated with what's called the action stage of change. But actually, there's three stages of change that happen before that, um, pre-contemplation, contemplation, and preparation. And there's two stages of change that happen afterwards. One of them is maintenance. One of them is so-called relapse. It's a, it was a health behavior model. But if we think about you know, human behavior change, we know that change sometimes happens in stages and plateaus and people may come back and, and want to top up. So when it comes to alignment of products and services, when you're building this chassis, I also ask people to think about, you know, what support do their clients need at those different stages of change? Because actually, if we can support them in those stages, um, we can probably also, um, first of all, um, innovate in a more aligned way with people's needs. And also when, when we don't address those different needs at different stages of change, we're pretty much leaving money on the table, right? So we can actually make our practices more sustainable and more profitable by making sure that we're just supporting people across a broader range of their needs. That makes sense. The second stage of building your bus is the wheels. And I, I, I'm deliberately putting these in order. First one is thinking about products and services. Second stage is putting the wheels on. And the wheels in this respect are your systems. Now, your systems in your practice may be technological systems or they may be people systems, team members, and not just associates, but other people in your team. You may need an online business manager. You may need a VA. You may, no, not you may, you definitely need an accountant. <laughs> You'll likely need someone, you know, who do, I, I call it the IT person. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, I'm kind of old school like that, you know. But uh, you may need, especially when you're innovating, support around intellectual property law, making sure that what you're developing is protected. That's not an irrelevant thing as well. So on the on the technological side, you know, we're thinking about all the different technological systems that we can bring into a practice that um, support us in delivering those services. But the, the key thing to remember about whether it's human systems or whether it's technological systems, systems are there to expand your capacity. So if you want to get out of a time for money model, then your systems are really key to that. Systems are the thing that bring you scalability, bring you growth without overwhelm. You know, and really addressing that key concern that people have, which is if I grow too quickly, it's going to get overwhelming. And that's not an irrelevant um you know, it's not like an unfounded fear. That's a real thing. So systems expand capacity. And apart from serving more people and apart from being more profitable in your practice, what that also helps you to do is to have space for the iteration of your product development. So this is how you start to create a function a little area within your practice where you're able to do product design and development and validation. Starting to get a little bit of space in the system to enable that. The third part of this metaphor, the third part of this process, and it's important that it goes in this direction, is to put the engine in the bus. And the engine is your marketing. It can be so tempting when you want to scale up your practice to just start with marketing. If you don't have any leverage products at that point, if you don't have any products that don't need you to be there actively to deliver them and you start to rev the engine of your bus and at the moment, you know, there may not be many wheels on it, or there may be very small wheels on it, then a few things happen. One, a lot of heat is created and without much movement. And what that means is your level of overwhelm can increase. Um, and also um, the amount of fuel you burn, in other words, money and time and energy, um, is enormous in comparison with the return that you're getting on that. I've seen people burning through cash in their practice like there's no tomorrow because they're focusing on um, marketing spend before they've really optimized their product market fit and also before they've optimized the systems in their practice. Now, what I would say is that those three things, nevertheless, are also a little bit of an iterative circle. But I just want to call to mind this idea that if you're just getting started, going straight to marketing can be problematic. 
you're often better to focus on developing and validating and testing and building an early cohort of people who are really enthusiastic for your mission and how you're helping people than you are to go straight to a big chunk of ad spend or a big chunk of marketing spend. Um, also, building a product, doing a bunch of marketing, and then trying to build a system to sustain the level of interest in it is a recipe for really gray hair. <laughs> I may have done this before. <laughs> I may have my own. <laughs> I may have my own experience of that, hence the gray hair. <laughs> so, um, as I said, you know, think about it in those orders. Think about those three discrete activities. It's not that you, it doesn't have to be kind of perfectly sequential, but there will be, you know, an emphasis on the products and services. Think about your systems and before you think about your marketing and then just think about playing that, that system, um, as an iterative process as you grow and develop and hone and, align your practice so that it becomes you know that that efficient effective beautiful experience you know and and the the bus that's going to take you and all your clients somewhere beautiful the two other elements in this metaphor that are constants so they're always there and they are always relevant and they always require some attention. And there's two of them. One is you, the driver of the bus. So you you have your you have your needs, you have your challenges, and you are really central to where this bus is going to be going. You're making decisions. You have a relationship with the people who are also traveling this bus because they're your clients. And, um, you know, as we said in episode one, and, and as I think everyone has alluded to in these, um, in these podcasts so far, the path of private practice is personally transformative. People go into private practice for a mass of different reasons, but when we're faced with those challenges, first of all, we, we start to realize in private practice that, that we are both the challenge and the key. <laughs> um, we know anyway. So we kind of have a sense of this as psychologists and therapists, right? Because we know that CPD and our ability to skill ourselves as psychologists and therapists is really important. Um, but the thing that I really learned, especially as I went through my internal family systems um, therapy training, is that, you know, we come with all of the different parts of ourselves and the experience of being on this path of developing our private practice and of working with our clients um, is going to be confronting to different parts of ourselves. Also, what we realize as well is that there is a, a kind of intimacy in between our story as practitioners 
and elements of our client's story that are really meaningful to us. You know, remembering that M is part of that model of flourishing. So if we can find um, a pathway that is really meaningful and really purposeful, and therefore it's very engaging and it's very stimulating, it's very rewarding, it's really a path to flourishing, then often um, the challenges that come along with walking that path are things that when we overcome them are also healing to us. I've talked a lot about that in in episode one. And I I think my clients and um, my podcast guests have kind of spoken about that too in the other episodes. The fifth element of this model is um, the environment. So you may have seen from some of the, some of the, you know, blog posts on my website, some of my kind of social media posts, um, that this idea of regenerative private practice is really important to me. You know, when I think about um, how do we create private practices that are life-giving systems, that they are going to be restorative to you as a practitioner, that they're going to be restorative to our clients, so many of us as psychologists and therapists, we don't, we're not interested in making our clients dependent on us. We don't need to make our clients dependent on us because um, there's so much need out there, you know. So being able to support other people's um, ability to live a flourishing life is is where we're at. We're never going to go out of business doing that, right? So why why would we do it another way? The alternative to that is akin to what we saw with some of those, um, you know, recent mental health tech companies, which is extractive models. A lot of us have experienced extractive business models in our jobs, you know, before we went into private practice, whether it's, you know, working all the hours um, God sends, whether it's um endless drives for efficiency whether it's endless drives um you know for agility and all of these other things which have have been about just you know treating people and treating organizations as machines that can run constantly um that we can optimize so that they run on less and less and less fuel so that we maximize profit margins. And if there's a level of attrition along the way, well, we'll just swap one component out and get a new component in. That's been a lot of the mindset that we've experienced. So, you know, shifting that in our private practice is within our power. It's within our remit. Why would we, why would we create a private practice that sucks the life out of us or sucks the life out of our clients was just not what we're about, right? So I think the environment that you create for yourself in your private practice and the environment that you gather around yourself, I mean, we talked about that in um, the last episode, in episode four, where we said, you know, hey, how how revolutionary let's create an organization that puts mental health at the start (laughs) let's build an organization that 
um, is actually that promotes human flourishing. And by the way, it then promotes innovation and all these other things. It you know promotes people to be the best that they can be to expand their capacity for living. I think that immediately has an impact on the environment that we're creating for others or that we're supporting, you know, the, the environment that we're resourcing out there. Um, you know, are we resourcing just systems, you know, systems of justice? Um, are we redressing some of the damage that has been done? A lot of us are doing that. A lot of us, it's essentially a lot of what we do, which is trying to undo and overcome damage. And, you know, a lot of my uh, clients go into private practice because they're like, I'm just fed up of this revolving door. I need, we need to go upstream and do things differently. And I think um, the other thing that, you know, helps us to think about the environment because there is a world of need out there. It comes down to this topic which in um, traditional marketing and business terms gets called niching. But the way that I like to think about it with my clients is what stories are you serving and how how and why do you care about those stories? So I I... I think it really trips us up as psychologists and therapists when we get asked, what demographic do you serve? What, um, you know, can you build a client avatar? It's one of my pet hates. <laughs> can you build a client avatar? I want to understand your, your client's stories. And they may come in all different shapes and sizes. And, and maybe we need to flex our products and services according to that. But what do, um, you know, what stories are you serving and why do you care about that and what's your connection with it and what's that kind of closeness with it? So there we are. Those are the five elements of what it takes to build, in my experience, a flourishing and innovative private practice. We're building the bus. We're creating the products and services. We're putting the wheels on in the form of systems and we're putting the marketing engine in and thinking about, you know, how we optimize the build so that we're not doing things in an order that causes us to cre create a lot of overwhelm and to waste a lot of resources. And then we're thinking about you as the driver and looking after um, and helping you to figure out what is the path that you're driving on with this, with this bus? What's the road you're going down? What's the terrain? What's the territory? Um, what's the transformation for you as the driver? And then thinking about really what kind of environment are you traveling to and within? Are we, are we, traveling in such a way in our private practices that we are actually restoring and rebuilding um, the environment around us, both for ourselves and for the people that we work with. So I hope that helps you to feel as though this is actually a pathway, this is actually a way of approaching, 
approaching flourishing and innovation in private practice that is actually, we can break it down. We can manage it. We can track how we're traveling through it. We can figure out where we have strengths and where we have weaknesses that might need some support. So thank you for listening. Um, If you have any questions, I'd love to hear them. Feel free to, um, to visit my website and you can book a coffee chat with me if you want to talk about how to flourish and how to innovate in your private practice. Um, there'll be various resources that I can drop in the show notes for you that I hope will be helpful. And I look forward to seeing you next week in our uh, episode six, um, and uh, which is going to be around the transition, managing the transition between therapy and coaching, which I know is a topic that a lot of people are um, concerned about. So thanks for listening and I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. I'd love to hear what you think about the Inspiring Psychologist podcast. So please take a moment to leave a review and give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It makes a massive difference in helping us to reach new audiences. If, like me, you're feeling inspired and moved by the private practice stories in our podcasts, please spread the word across your own networks. And why not encourage your colleagues and friends to listen to the podcast too? To make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, please be sure to subscribe to the Inspiring Psychologist podcast. You can find out more about all my guests from Series 1 at our website, inspiringpsych.com that's inspiring p-s-y-c-h dot com